Welcome back to Good Romance, and thanks for tuning in to the romance podcast where we ask readers and writers about their favorite romance novels. Today, we have the amazing Katie Casey on our show to talk about Rose Lerner's Sailor's Delight, um, which I love, love, love. I can't wait for you to hear our amazing discussion about it, amongst other things. If you aren't aware, this season is very special and close to my heart because it is season two, Oops All Jews. All Jews, all the time, we are only having Jewish guests on the show. I've had a blast producing this season so far, and I hope you have just as much fun listening. Thanks again for tuning in, and stay tuned for Katie Casey. My Rosh Hashanah resolution was to keep a, a reading journal, and I've actually kept it, so I'm pretty happy. Oh, with that's myself. so great! I'm so happy for yeah. you. I don't really do like reading journaling precisely, but I do like um, I have like a pretty religious Goodreads account. I know that it's not like a good website, but I've been devoted <laughs> to it for like ten years, and I'm not gonna like break up with Goodreads now. Ten years into our relationship. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's it's a little different, like for authors, I do a lot of like when i when I'm doing reading journaling, it's a lot about like like craft observation that's not really a review, and it's not for like the author of the book. Mm. Um, so it's more like I thought this structure worked really well, and like I can use that to inform you know something I'm currently working on or whatever, which is not for for public consumption. So it is in a actual physical book with like cute little template pages and I'm very happy with it. So I was like, let me go remind myself because anytime anyone asks you what books you've read, you immediately forget every book that's ever existed. Yeah, it's worse for me, like, because, I mean, it's bad for you because you're an author, but it's bad for me because I'm a librarian. And so as soon as somebody's like, well, what have you liked recently? First of all, immediate goose egg. My head just goes, uh. And also, like, I'm like, I don't know you. I mean, it, it, there's a whole, there's a certain art to reader's advisory, but it can be a, a little embarrassing to be like, huh, I can't remember a single book I've ever read. I'm just going to go emergency <laughs> research my brain in the closet. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I know. That would definitely be harder where you're just like, hey, um, are there books in this this book house? library <laughs> i know i we don't have those we have no computers. no no we don't have books anymore would you like to print something anyway um on that note why don't you introduce yourself to our listening audience tell us about yourself sure um i'm katie casey i am an author of queer jewish baseball romance um i have a number of books uh the one that is coming out next is um Diamond Ring, which is coming out through Karina Press in April of this year. Um, and it is a uh, spicy gay baseball romance with Jewish characters. I mean, you really can't get any more Jewish than baseball. The book is, I think we make it four pages before there's a Sandy Koufax reference, but it might not be four. Like, it might be fewer than four pages. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I will have to say I'm a little bit ashamed of myself that I have not read a Rose Lerner book before because I'm aware of her as an author in like the Jewish romance space. But I think the more recommendations that I'm getting for this podcast, the more I'm realizing like it's like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> I, first of all, I love the oops, all Jews theme to the <laughs> To the podcast. <laughs> I was like, I definitely have to recommend like a Jewish romance. Um, and this is this is one of my favorites that I've read 
in the past year, um, which, you know, we're going to, we're going to chat about that I think was just like, yeah, I, I'm a slow reader. So like you ever have one of those books that you, you put down and you're like, I cannot wait to pick this back up again. Right. This mm -hmm. was that book for me. Um, I know like it's short, so probably other people read it in like one sitting or so, but I'm like, nope, this was a, a delicious like four days for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have times when I'm like, I go through a lot of reading droughts because uh, I'm real depressed just as a person. And so like I read it in a couple sessions as well, also because I wanted to like properly enjoy it. I think um, one of the problems with the way we discuss reading and like, oh, read your culture is everyone's like, I got to get through my thousand books for the year. And I'm like, well, but I want to enjoy it. So why would I speed through it and just like, like scan for interesting dialogue when I could, I could actually read the book and have a good time? Yeah, I, you know, I think that there's, there is, um, and this is, this has to do with sort of like, if there's a Goodreads culture, which I guess there is about just sort of like reading in terms of stats and in terms of numbers and in terms of whatever, I'm like, don't eat steak like it's potato chips. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted to digest this. I wanted to like have this last. I was like, I'm really enjoying this. So I don't want to enjoy it for less time. And I will say like, this is a book that it's, it's fairly short. I don't know how many pages it is, um, but it is, I think, technically a novella, but it, it never feels super short and it never loses tension, which I think is a really great trick for a novella like that's really hard to do um, yeah to carry your probably... metaphor i i think of it as like a like a perfect cut like there's no fat on it it's just the perfectly tender bit exactly exactly and but like it like tiny like like a, a small <laughs> one like a, you get a salad with it um yeah. we should probably tell people what the book's about <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh sailor's delight by rose larner is a uh, romance between a jewish bookkeeper and moneylender and um and a sailor on the royal navy augustus brine which the name augustus brine is so metaphorically resonant i'm just like who like like how dare you and um, Ellie Bezen Benezet, I guess is how it's pronounced. I, I actually am not familiar with the non-stereotypically like common American Jewish last names. So there's a lot of words in this book that I'm like, I wonder how that's pronounced. <laughs> Our culture is very <laughs> pluralistic. And so it's, it's you know, a, a kind of a pining and there's a deadline. And I mean, we're totally going to spoil it because I want to discuss it a lot. But yeah, I'm going to keep it kind of vague at the beginning and then we can just kind of slowly unwind it all. And it is a holiday romance. So it is a, mm -hmm. an MM romance. It is a, a high holiday romance. So it's, um, you know, set over, over Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, which I, you know, I like for a, for a holiday romance. Um, but that's kind of also, I think, goes into the sense of sort of like there's this sense of deadlines and there's sense of time that's really built well into it. Uh, because what Augustus is on essentially like shore leave for mm -hmm. her, um, the book. And there's this sort of set structure of the high holidays that helps it kind of move along as well. Um, but I absolutely, absolutely adored it. I, yeah, I, I have to <laughs> say, I was like, uh, I think my, my main note was tension, exclamation point, Jewish family, exclamation point, hot, hot. Pining <laughs> exclamation point. And I'm like, that's that's all you want, right? Yeah, I, I love pining. And I think especially with um like anything, any historical queerness, you kind of do have to 
either you have to like go with a oh well people aren't gonna like like gonna look for what they don't see which is often the case like in a they were roommates kind of way like particularly with women one of the things that i like about historical romance is it can just be like oh yeah we don't have to hide because literally no one thinks lesbians exist um but of course men are um degenerate perverts and so if they're ever alone or have even even any semblance of affection toward each other they could just be friendly uh it's gay and, and murder them i do think that like it, the tension and the pining in this wasn't like sad for me. It was mostly just anticipatory and joyful in a way because I think mm -hmm. Ellie doesn't have any expectations. Even if like part of him like has secret hopes, he does have this like kind of pretty unconditional um, kind of glorifying obsession with this guy. <laughs> Augustus Bride. That's a Goyasha <laughs> name. Like that is just like like what was it before Ellis Island, buddy? Um, it's interesting and I think Rose Lerner does this a lot you know sort of within historical romance um historical romance is often talked about sort of metonymously with like Regency romance and Victorian romance mm -hmm. in England um I think this is technically either Regency or very early Victorian just in a in a slice of life that is not necessarily I think represented in other historical romance so you have you know two people who are both you know they're not destitutely poor but they're they're working people um and because i think well augustus is like a, a ship he's like a navigator essentially like he's not a mm -hmm. sort of like a, a sailor like a, a general sailor he's like a he has a specialty position on the ship um and i think there's this sort of perception in historical romance that if it's not involving nobility or royalty or whatever like there can't be structural tension between two people right like so like the duke can't marry the scullery maid whatever mm -hmm. um like class like, does exist if you're not ludicrously wealthy yeah <laughs> and, and like there divides yeah and there's structural issues kind of keeping them apart even though they're both I guess of similar social class, right? I didn't get the sense that that was a, a huge like fact. Like class wasn't really the thing keeping them apart. It was just kind of mm -hmm. everything else about their lives. Yeah, like, I think I'm on a boat all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a boat all the time is definitely a, a pretty decent a romantic obstacle. But I think um, what really interested me is like one of the like because obviously the huge obstacle you think is the fiance um because augustus brian spoiler alert is engaged um and has been since he was like basically a child um and i think it's really interesting that like ultimately sarah is not that much of an an obstacle as a person it's more that like they're both so i mean i think i guess augustus is like i made this decision and i gotta stick by it and i gotta support her and i gotta do the right thing and ellie is like very much like um like he is like I'm never gonna get to have the thing that I want, so I'm just gonna be a childless spinster man. Like, uh, neither of them are like, you know I mean? I mean, they both are having feelings for the other and like, you know, that's a dangerous game to play as a man. Um, but I think it's just kind of interesting that neither of them is like really at the risk taking place. Neither of them is just a risk taker, even though they both, have made these like really risky decisions for each other like everyone in ellie's family knows that he is like extending credit to this guy because one of the one of the parts of the plot is that basically ellie does not 
um, abide by the restrictions of the pay that um, that Augustus can provide. Um, he's just like, I want him to have nice things, so I'm going to extend him <laughs> more credit than he needs, and he's never going to pay me back, and it's fine. Um, and I think I don't know, there's a lot, obviously, very Jewish that's baked into the book. So first of all, it's from Ellie's point of view, so it's a single point of view, which I think for a novella works really well. Um, I like a single point of view book generally because it makes pining just better because you're like, the other person couldn't possibly feel the way I do, but of course they do. Um, but <laughs> it's often with books in, like not often, but often with, with media involving Jewish characters, the Jewish character will be the only Jewish person in that particular piece of media and is always presented as kind of an outsider. Whereas like in this one, Augustus Brine is the outsider and he's sort of like come to stay with Ellie's family for a little while, like in his house. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I liked that aspect. I did think that like the, I'm gonna, you know, lend, more money and without interest and with no expectation of repayment and that's a sign of like I have taken this person like in, in into like you know my life and and my family is sort of like without even him knowing that to me felt very Jewish like a lot of the stuff about like you have a character who's a Jewish money lender or, or a lender a lender I don't know what that is um <laughs> like a Jewish money lender which can obviously go very ugh, in fiction mm, there's some ick uh, places that could be <laughs> there's some ick places that can be but sort of with jewish with jewish ethics in terms of money lending like you don't if you if you're lending friends or family money you don't obviously charge interest and you don't generally even have the expectation of repayment in most mm -hmm, circumstances exactly and I think that it's, that's not like something the check that like, grabbing thing. It's like the check grabbing thing. Yes, exactly. That like everyone kind of owes each other a little bit of money all the time, but like no one's ever going to come collect. And so like Augustus is part of the family when he starts like receiving that, even though he doesn't know that he's receiving it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I feel that. Yeah. So that was like a congrats, you're in a Jewish family now. So we're going to fuss at you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that like, even though, you know, they do, the family interactions are very interesting to me because obviously, like you said, it is usually there is one Jewish other person, even in like, you know, there'll be a romance that has, you know, one Jewish character, one non-Jewish character. Um, it's usually in the world of the non-Jewish character because the world is a non-Jewish place. Um, but in this, we get like, you know, this kind of enclave because of course in history in Europe, there have been little enclaves of Jewishness where Jews have been allowed to live in peace and sometimes prosper. And I was really interested to read this one because like you said, it's not really a place that is fully explored in any kind of historical fiction. Um, like, like, you know, an ordinary time of being Jewish in the past is cool. Like there's only so many, like they write so many. And this is just one of my big pet peeves as a person in the book world all of the goddamn World War II covers with the woman in the blue dress and wearing a hat, looking up at some kind of hostile shadow or with a bird above her or a plane or a cloud. Like, I am so- And the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower. I'm just so done with World War II books. I'm so done with Holocaust books with pretty thin white women. Like, my kingdom, my kingdom for literally anything. I'm so tired. Uh, 
Yeah, and this is this is obviously like there's tons and tons and tons of Regency and early Victorian romance, mm-hmm. and I don't know if there's any other book like this. Well, that's what's so special about it. Like, it's such a unique book, and I think that even though it is like really unique and different, I don't think it would be out of place for a non-Jewish audience because, like, even as a Jew, this is not my cultural context, right? Like, I'm not I'm not Portuguese. <laughs> like, I don't have mm-hmm. any roots in that part of the community. My family is fully Ashkenazi all the way down. My family came over here from what was once the Russian Empire. So like, I don't have any relation to the Sephardic community. I don't know any Portuguese. I don't have any of like, you know, they practice rabbinical Judaism, but like, that's pretty much it. You can Google it. Yeah. And so even I think even in this, so like Ellie is Portuguese and his family is a mix of various sort of like, I would say, you know, minhags traditions mm-hmm. yeah because i feel like I, i'm trying to remember and it's been a couple months since i read it. i feel like he's portuguese but like there are other members of his family who are who aren't um for folks who don't know about sort of the history of jews in england in particular like why don't you get a lot of jews in like 1500s england because they were all <laughs> expelled um, yeah they did a little expulsion they did a wee Shakespeare, silly goofy expulsion Shakespeare never met a Jewish person if he is, in fact, you know, the dude who we think he is and never left England. <laughs> um, like, Christopher Marlowe might have met a Jewish person, but, like, probably didn't. Um, sources I'm dispute. Picking on, <laughs> yeah, sources, like, I'm picking on, obviously, like, The Merchant of Venice and The Jew of Malta, which are of both course, yeah. you know, written written um, during a time where there, there were no Jews in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jews Well, and, like, you know, historically like, speaking, I had no idea that there were Jews in England at this time because, like, you know... I, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and and so like just to kind of yeah, so Jews I think were expelled in like the 1200s, and then that lasted until I want to say like Cromwell. Um, so it was like a good 400 years, um, and then the Jews who did go to England were largely because of the expulsion from Spain and from Portugal, and so you get these Spanish and Portuguese Jews who move to England who invent fish and chips. That's so cool. I learned about that on TikTok. Yeah. um but yeah everyone's like wait what and it's like yeah that's that's where that came from um you know the 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 quintessential british food was brought there by by jews who could re-enter the country after being expelled for x number of years um and so ellie is like from this particular like set of circumstances um Mm -hmm. i always kind of say like i don't i don't tend to get like hives about non-jewish authors writing jewish characters as long as like people do research i don't really like i'm like just do research, be respectful, don't write the Jew of Malta. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I like this. I'm going to embroider those rules and put them above my door. The, the Jew of Malta is bonkers. Like, I can't be mad at Christopher Marlowe because he's dead and it's kind of like an amazingly bonkers play. But like, it's it's very anti-Semitic, obviously. I gotta but it's go read this Wikipedia article. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to read the book. Oh, no, not the book. I read yeah. Merchant of Venice in college, and that was enough for me. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Neat. Yeah. I'm good, actually. Forever. I'm good forever. The mer- This is the Merchant of Venice's, like, like cousin who did a whole bunch of drugs. <laughs> the messed up Merchant of Venice. Yeah, it's, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my it's, gosh. It's, it's a wild experience, and you're like, again, I'm not even mad. I'm amazed. Um, so, like, I don't tend to get to get hives about like like I said people writing Jewish characters who aren't Jewish but my my first question to people is this is like okay where is the book set 
how did the Jewish character in your book get to be in that place? Mm -hmm. Like, give me like kind I, of a, a roadmap to this point. Like, I need to know if they're in the US, you know, did they come over with like the wealthier German Jews? Did they come over with like, or, you know, did they come with like sort of initial Sephardic Jewish settlement? Did they come over with like, wealthier German Jews in like the 1860s, 1870s? Did they come over with sort of the 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 fleeing the pogroms from Eastern Europe, like my family did, like your family did probably? Uh, you know, are they, you know, Russian emigres who came during, you know, after after when or when the Soviet Union started letting people out? Like, how did they get to be in this place? And I think that, you know, this book really it, it's part of the world building that she addresses. Like, how did this this dude named Ellie get to be where he is? Um, mm -hmm. And who were the other people in the in his world, and how did they get there? Which I thought was just like again, it's some really nice world building um, that is done with with a really terrific, I think, economy, but like speaks to a real like depth of understanding of like, well, it's a historical romance, but like the history, right? Yeah, I really like that as like kind of a showing your work situation. Like we don't, you know, we we can't, you know, for we can't like have like a family tree in the front and be like, this is how she met his dad and this is how this happened. And like, but we know the bones of how everybody knows each other. We know about his uncle. We know about like, you know, how he's related to the people he lives with when he's in in like um Portsmouth, I believe is where the book is set. Um so like, you know, you have that like you know, the background, the showing of the work, you know, circle the formula situation of like, this is how this man exists. And I also kind of thought it was kind of, it was like, it's a really good just portrayal of the diaspora generally because his cousin's kids, you know, Charlotte and the, they all have like, not quite anglicized names, but Charlotte's pretty anglicized. And like, like I think one of the baby has, has like um, an M name, but like they all have names that like are pretty easy to say in English which like, you know, is kind of uh, an expression of like, well, you end up in one place and this is where you are. So name your kids something. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, as you, as you put it at the beginning, you know, like he still has this name that would be harder for somebody who speaks English to say mm -hmm. is sort of like, what has he carried, um, carried with him? I know that, that in The Wife in the Attic, which is another Rose Lerner book, um, she does have a Portuguese Jewish character and then I who's in England and then KJ Charles also has a character named Daniel Da Silva who mm -hmm. is I've in, read that one I love that book. yeah Fly back to think of England so good yeah it's so good that was like one of the first romance like novels I read uh because I was not a romance reader until I was fairly grown and so like again like it's this sort of like small vein of like how did these Jews get to be in this particular place at a particular time? Um, and like Daniel De Silva is also really shaped by like, cause like he's, I don't want to spoil sort of like that book has a bit of a twist in the, in the first third, but like he's sort of this like effete poet initially, but like he has this very um, like working class family who are like, tailors and his parents like run a pool hall and things like that which again i mm -hmm. think thought was just like you know some really some really interesting background um to kind of throw in of like no they would be in east end they're going to be you know sort of like they would be in these particular professions this is sort of how they would operate um but it's totally different from when you get like you know 
most portrayals of Jews in America, which is, are going to be Ashkenazi, because most Jews in America are Ashkenazi in in the U.S. are Ashkenazi. Um, so that was that. The two books, I think, work really well together to kind of show the the full, I don't know, reality of Jewish life in England in a way that I haven't read in any other place before. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to like see other because like i mean just generally speaking i want the breadth of the jewish experience to like be in books because like there is very much like the the gilmore girls level of investment in jewishness like the oh paris geller makes one joke about having a bat mitzvah like kind of <laughs> vibe like i'm really just not that interested in like the sitcom 90s level of jewishness understanding that seems to be like the standard issue i mean like not it's not like exactly offensive but it is really like contextless and i mean it's better than people thinking that we're all like you know hook nose witch types but it's not great for media literacy like that so many stereotypes and like just general like lazy writing has been allowed to like completely flourish in like the modern age tm yeah and i'm trying to think of like you know, whenever I have, like, a Jewish character who, like, pops up in a book I'm reading, particularly if it's not billed as a Jewish romance, I'm all, I always, like, I do, like, the, the pointing thing, like, oh, my God! Um, and you can sort of immediately tell of, like, what is this going to be? I call I call the overall sort of um, phenomenon blue Christmas sweater, right? Is mm -hmm, it you do mm -hmm. Christmas and I do Hanukkah? Um, and you can always tell when it's not done well because then, like, you have the Christian explaining Christmas as if, like, that would be like explaining Coca-Cola to somebody who lives in Atlanta. It's like, <laughs> I'm I'm aware. <laughs> oh, buddy, wait till you hear about December. Um, and so, like, it sometimes is trying to, and I get, I get why it is. Like, there's very much, like, a, I want to interpret and explain to the reader sort of what this is you know i think like probably my parents your grandparents generation it's really like there was a really big assimilationist pressure um for understandable reasons mm -hmm. um and so like the oh we're you know we're just like you it's you know we wear sweaters in december but they're blue I, you know i i get it but at the same time, you're right. It's sort of like this sort of offhanded reference. And you're like, well, how does this like really shape their worldview? How does this really shape this person's life experience? Um, and I think sometimes when you find that, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. Give me, give me 400 more of them. Well, I guess like for a lot of characters, if you told me like just that they were Jewish, I'd be like, ah, fork spotted in a kitchen. What a controversial thing. Like, if you told me like, for example, a show that I no longer uh, have as many fond memories of. Like, I look back on, like, How I Met Your Mother, and I'm like, Lily Aldrin could have very easily been Jewish. They cast, like, um, what's his name? Chris something as her dad. And he is, like, the most Jewish actor. I, I, I forget what his name is. It's <laughs> the guy with the red beard. Um, but, and, like, I mean, pretty much half of that cast has at least one Jewish parent. And I'm like, Lily was definitely Jewish. Marshall's definitely like something. He's like his family is like very um like Minnesotan. And then like Ted's a hundred percent Jewish. Like I really I it's like the, the the best show I think that did it the best is definitely New Girl, even though they did some really offensive intermarriage stuff at the time. Like I'm like 
Uh, why do we have to have the Jewish man be obsessed in a creepy way with an Asian woman? It's it's so much. Sigh. Yeah. You've I assume seen the clip of that actor who played Schmidt and Maya Bialik doing like the cooperative overlapping, like I have not seen that clip. Oh my god, but I I am going to go Google it right away. <laughs> okay, so it's like to explain, I wanna say it's who is the very annoying British late night host? Oh, James Corden. Thank you. I was thinking Patterson. I was like, that's definitely not right. No, he's um, my mortal so enemy, James, though. James Corden, who does not speak for most of this clip, which is the part of the best part. So it's the guy <laughs> who plays Schmidt and Maya and Bialik. Um, and they're talking, and they're, they're if people don't know, those, those actors are both Jewish. Um, and they're talking, and they're doing, like, the cooperative overlap interrupt build thing. Um, which mm -hmm. is just like sort of like unhingedly and unreservedly Jewish. And James Corden is just like watching this. And he's just like, for the first time in like all of my years doing this job, I have no idea what to say to this. <laughs> like, he's just like, oh, oh my God. Like, but yeah, the clip is, the clip is incredible. Um, and I think it's one of those things where, I don't know, it, it's, it's one of those things where they could put stuff like that in media and shows and i don't know it's harder to do in books with cooperative overlapping um but like that's one of those things that you can you can show as a cultural difference oh and cooperative over overlapping if people don't know is basically like i'm, I'm gonna i'm doing air quotes interrupting somebody who's speaking because it's not really interrupting to add on to what they're speaking or to what they're saying in a way that shows that you are both tracking what they're saying it makes you think think about something and you want to add the next thing. Um, yeah, this would be the time I when I would interrupt you and say, yeah, we learned about it in linguistics. <laughs> you did learn about it in linguistics. But yeah, so like this is this clip. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that really should get worked more in. Again, like how does how does being Jewish affect somebody's like worldview and conversational patterns? And there's just like such a switch between like, we are having a polite interview with James Corden. <laughs> and we're just going to talk to each other in this just hot chaos, hot Yiddish chaos way. Yeah, yeah. The Yiddish kite is strong with these two. I I do think it's really interesting um, whenever you get like a, a genuine moment like that between actors, because, you know, I don't really think of them as like real people. I know they are. <laughs> but, you know, like, and also in, like, there's so many actors who are Jewish, but aren't like kind of their public image does not involve, like, I mean, for example, like, um, like Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill, they're basically their entire filmography is like, I'm a Jewish man and I'm real stupid. And it's like, oh no, why did you, why did you do that? And I mean, I don't begrudge anybody their success, but it's like, like most of their roles, like kind of feel to me like the equivalent of like putting on a silly hat and being like, look at me. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, nobody needed that. Nobody needed you to be like the court Jew for like, 10 fucking years i will say having having representation that we can also be dumbasses is very important to me well like see that's a, another i will die on the hill of um basically everybody in new girl to me feels jewish but particularly <laughs> jess's dad is rob reiner you yeah. cannot have your dad be rob reiner and not be and i mean there's also like i really like the idea my head canon is that um have you watched the show I have. I have. I've never actually seen How I Met Your Mother because I heard about the finale and then I was like, no, 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 thank you. That's um, a really good choice. Um, 
That's a good yep. self-care choice you're making. But for New Girl, I have the headcanon that Nick and Schmidt are both actually Jewish. And that, like, they kind of are, like, two sides of the same coin in that way. Like, Schmidt is kind of, like, a nothing person. Like, he's just like, I'm really depressed and tired all the time, and I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> he and, does have that schlub, the, like, the sexiest schlub energy. Well, and Jake Johnson is also Jewish, little known fact. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I do love, like, the, um in, in a couple movies now I've seen um the representation of knowing who every famous Jewish person is. Because that is a thing. Like we all know. So, so first of all, he's schlubby Spider Man and into the Spider Verse, and I'm like, yes, and representation I love him in that. never mattered more. Well, um, and the character you know, like, is supposed to be Jewish because they they break a glass at the at the wedding. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Spider Man's from Queens. Like, if you're from Queens, you're Jewish. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if, if you're, you're Italian you're and from, from Queens, Queens you're, Jewish. you're also Jewish. Yeah. You're also Jewish, and you can play us in movies under yes. under what we call in my household the Shalubian Compact, which is <laughs> Italians can play Jews, Jews can play Italians, and Tony Shalub can play everybody. I like that. I actually really enjoy, um, speaking of television shows that I have mixed opinions about, I haven't seen all of uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, and I have mixed feelings about Amy Sherman Palladino in general. Um, but I really like Tony Shalub in that role because he just is playing my dad. <laughs> Yes, I'm just like like I said, Tony Shalhoub. You you have you know, we we drew up a thing. You're allowed to play mm -hmm. us. You're allowed to play Italians. Absolutely, he's Lebanese. Aliens, person, I think. Yes, yeah, he is Lebanese. Uh, uh, every Lebanese uh, person I know says, "Oh yeah, Tony Shalhoub. He's one of ours." <laughs> um, you know who's not one of ours? Zachary Levi. Because I know, and been like, never been more grateful. Never been more grateful. I was like, I was, because people are finding out he's like a right-wing evangelical anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, we knew, we knew he wasn't one of ours. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's like, like disavowing that. There's some like kind of, I, I don't want to call them like tricks or whatever, or like, but there are people who like people assume are Jewish because of like either a name or a face shape. And there are people who everyone's just like, no, they couldn't possibly be like Kate Hudson. No one looks at her and says, ah, yes, a Jewish person. Um, but her mom is, and her mom is, um, oh God, who's her mom? I'm trying to remember. Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn, yeah. Goldie Hawn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, another Nepo baby. Um, But I, I hate, for just a, a quick, I, we don't have to get into it because I'm sick to death of the subject. But the idea that nepotism is new is ridiculous and hilarious to me. Like, as if, like, Jamie Lee Curtis is not fully old enough to have a Nepo baby of her own. And, like... Uh, Carrie Fisher is one like three times over. Dakota Johnson is one twice over. Like people need to get over themselves. It's been happening. So, Jamie Lee Curtis, also Jewish, is my friend's cousin. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Tony Curtis, also Jewish. I think the family name was was not Curtis. This was a what was it before Hollywood situation? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I was just like, hey, yeah. As you said, nepotism. Not a not new. As, not, as Queen Clarice not. Rinaldi said, nepotism is in the arts, not in plumbing. Um, but as we were saying, oh God, what was I? Oh yeah. So there's the actors that everyone's like, that guy is Jewish, right? And like, um, oh, who's the one who everyone is like, that's definitely a Jewish guy, but he's not. Play with Kylo Ren. Uh, Adam Driver. I am sick to death of Adam Driver. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Romance has been taken by storm by Adam Driver. There's all these like um kylo ren slash ray books that are coming out um people have discovered that they like a big chunky guy with a little tiny lady and i am 
it's just the most heterosexual thing. And I'm like, I am ashamed. <laughs> I am ashamed. You all need to come for your people. <laughs> I I officially, I will say I have not read. Um, so the love hypothesis is pretty like open about it. If you look at the cover art, if you look at the, the blurb, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I, I am going to be honest. My hardest sell as a reader is probably contemporary MF romance. Um, I I do read some of it, but it is the thing that I that I do the most sort of investigation around, like because I'm very very particular about it, and so I'm just kind of like, if I can get you know four rabbis to sign off on it and <laughs> three close friends to tell me it's okay, like I will probably read it. But like versus like MF historical romance, I'm just like put it in the IV. Let's go. Now, see, I am, um, okay. um, I'm a trash goblin. I'll try mm. anything. And if it makes me vomit, I'll feel sorry for myself. Like, I've read so many, this week I've read two books that I legitimately did not like. Like, and I kept reading until I was done because I eat my whole plate. Um, I'm, I just, I don't know how to do self-care. I can't do it. But like, I, I guess it's like scientific curiosity too, because like, I want to take it apart, take apart the toaster, to borrow a phrase, and figure out what didn't work and why. Mm -hmm. I really like, I, I, I think that I read a little bit of everything. I love historicals just because like, I love the, I love the tropes and historicals. And I love kind of like the way that mm, I don't have to relate to any of these problems. Like, like, oh, <laughs> I don't have any emotional, like nobody in here is worried about paying their taxes. Nobody's got QuickBooks mm. on their computer in this in this this book. I'm good. Uh, Can you tell I've yeah. been waiting for my W two to come in the mail? Y yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, like Dukes sometimes care about taxes, but it's more of like the they put the lien on the land or they do like a bunch of stuff. Where I'm like, I don't know what any of these words mean. I exactly. don't care. Oh, they take they take your land and then you big sad. Okay, um, I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm reading right now, right now, like, um, I'm almost done with A Caribbean Heiress in Paris, which is the Adriana, Adriana Herrera book, um, that does involve some discussion of, like, what happens when, like, a duke doesn't pay his debts, and I'm just like, so, so did, like, they, they repossess his, his, his manor? Like, what, what's gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> like I, mean, I genuinely that's interesting. don't know. Yeah, I um, read um I read um oh what was it? It was um Vanessa Riley, I think. And like they do kind of explore um one of the things that I really like is like kind of yeah, we were kind of always here. Like people of color were in England. Um there was mm -hmm. like, you know, travel that was happening from different places for various colonial and non-colonial reasons. Um it's just that, like, again, with the signing off of people, like, I really love diverse historical romance. But you know what I don't want is misogyny. <laughs> like, I really, I mean, it's not particularly that I didn't like the book because I would definitely read anything she wrote again. Like, she's a brilliant writer. But I just don't think it's cute to be like, ah, women, they don't know how to think about things. I'm going to make decisions and spy on my wife. Like, Ooh. I don't like it when men lie and i don't like it when men spy i mean like i don't know why the domineering man character is like i mean this is maybe because like i see how easy that turns into abuse like 
I really just am not interested in reading about a big strong man emotionally or physically dominating anybody. So not not into the I will say all my books, so right now all of my published books are are MM. Um I do manage to have a height difference because all even when all my characters are over six feet, I was like, I have a six inch height difference and they're both over six feet. I'm just like, this is too large. <laughs> like for the next book, like I was like, I have to make smaller because I'm sick of being like, would you hit the doorway? Like, like I, I have like, like what kind of car you drive? Like I have logistical considerations about, I was like, if they are in fact as large as you say, like, are, is the architecture of the time going to accommodate them? Uh, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, are the beds going to be long enough? Um, sorry, that's, that's where I go with, that's where oh, my no, brain I'm totally goes. with you. Like, you know, they say, I mean, I think this is probably true. It might be apocryphal, but the George Washington was like six feet tall. And that was very tall for the time. And I'm just like, Okay, if six feet tall is tall, what are all these like six foot three dukes with all of their hair and teeth? And like you said, I enjoy suspension of disbelief, but the idea that there are all these handsome aristocrats jaunting around at the same time, like to me, seems farcical. <laughs> it's it's improbable. Um, it's it's definitely definitely improbable. Uh, you know, I'm like, how how big is the carriage? Like, do you have to order like a custom thing? I guess they're all their furniture is probably custom. Um, I wrote a character who's six six, and I did a and like, I don't I don't list weights in books, um, for a variety of reasons. But like in my head, he's about two eighty. Um, so like big dude. Um, mm -hmm. and I was like, googling like how to like, custom bed, custom truck, like how to make fit in our normal human world um and i which like is really hard um i listen to a lot of interviews with a guy with a with a pitcher who's actually about six five six six and about like 260 270 so like again big dude um and he talks about he's like you can't buy clothes at a store that like, does have to be hard because i'm like a tiny person um, no one's ever surprised to hear that I am uh, just over five feet tall. Uh, I recently did learn that my husband and I have an have an almost a whole foot height difference. So oh my I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, I know. We recently <laughs> found out that he's he's taller than we thought. It happens. Uh, it doesn't matter. His brother is still half a foot taller than that. I am the tiniest person in my entire extended family. Um, oh my goodness. Well, no, not really. I have an aunt who's four ten. We're not a tall people, the Jews. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, except, but, except for the ones of us who are. Yeah, except for the ones who are, and they're alarmingly tall. Um, but um, yeah, but, you know, I uh, I really never thought about that because for me, it's always been where do I find the small things, or even like because the jeans that fit my my waist do not fit my legs, and the jeans and the shirts like I usually have had pretty good luck with sweaters, and that's basically it. Everything else is just a disaster. Um, although shoes are great because I have small feet, and so nobody wants the shoes that fit me. That is very nice. I have a very like standard foot size. So, oh, you're yes, like a seven very... or something. That's like the like mm -hmm. every every American woman is like. Well, so I read about the average American size like a long time ago before I like, you know, would read something like that and get squicked out about like, oh, I don't want to think about that numbers. That's gross. Why are we thinking about people's size? Let's leave it be. Um, but like the like the average American woman is like size fourteen, size seven. And I'm like, that's got to be 
the like being able to get a, a like a size 14 dress in america has got to be the worst yeah yeah like if, if I mean, you are the american average it's like five four size 14 seven feet that's got to be the worst they make more stuff but you have to go and and yeah get it before other people do um but yeah i'm trying to th i'm like thinking like okay if i'm a duke and i'm six six way back in the day right i'm mm -hmm. you know I well, can, first of I all there'd throw... be like a book written about you yeah like i could throw my toothpick wife on my shoulder or whatever um <laughs> like i was like wait so it's a duke so like they're gonna get their their clothing all custom made they're mm -hmm. gonna get their furniture all custom made so like that's we're doing good they can order you know a carriage made to their specifications how are they not hitting their head on every doorway in their manner that was built 200 years before then? Mm, yes, exactly. And also, like, the beds that, like, belong to their great-grandparents that, like, Queen Victoria slept in. Yeah, like... Or, like, I guess, I Queen like, Charlotte or whatever, if we're going back, back. Yeah, like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, logistically, that's just... Like, I was like, just have them be tall. Tall is a relative measure. Like, I write about characters who are athletes. They do tend to, like, know their heights. So it's a running joke that they all exaggerate their heights by, like, an inch or two. Because that's, because baseball players are liars. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make that be the pull quote for the episode. Baseball players are liars. Katie Casey. Are, well, yeah, they, they lie because, like, there's, a, it's not just, like, toxic masculinity, though it is a little bit. Um, for like scouting reasons, if you, mm -hmm. there are reasons to exaggerate how tall you are, um, in particular, they look for like stride length with pitchers, like the longer you can stretch out your legs, um, like your, the longer your actual stride, the closer it puts you to home plate when you deliver a pitch and therefore the batter has less time to react. So like, that's like a reason to be, that's why pitchers tend to be like, they tend to be tall, skinny boys. Um, because of, because of that um but i'm just like just you know you can just put like they're tall um and have it be you know tall is contextual well one of my favorite um and i mean i'm not like a mary balois stan i don't know if you've read or mary bello i don't know how to pronounce any names that are english b-a-l-o-g-h <laughs> She writes like yeah, the Westcott I, books and a couple others, but I love the first book in the Westcott series, Somebody to Love, because Avery, the Duke of Netherby, is a short king, and he's like the most intimidating guy in any room because he just has this cultivated air of like, I can fuck you up, and he can because he's an expert martial artist, and I love that. See, that's terrific. We need more of that. Like, small, angry ball of rage is absolutely, I was like, yeah, um, the book I have coming out in April, one of the characters is is a is a pitcher. He's like six four, six five. Um, and then the other is a is a catcher, and catchers just tend to be short, again, for baseball reasons. Like mm -hmm. tall, like they they will actually lie about their height in the other direction to make themselves seem shorter because if you're overly tall, people start getting worried about like your legs giving out essentially um and getting sure. like hip and, and back problems um so like they tend to to say that they're 510 and they're actually six foot versus the other way around um but i have one who's he's five eight and i put in like the description that i wrote up for my publisher like what would happen if joey vado was crossed with wolverine <laughs> short angry little man 
like Wolverine the comics, who is short, not Wolverine sure, sure. Jackman, who is tall. Just I do think that um like the there's the whole like written by a woman, written by a man paratext in the world of like you know, I, I do think, I mean, since romance is not entirely, but primarily is a genre written and read by women. Um, and I do think it's interesting that, like, even though, like, if you look at the romantic partners, and obviously I don't believe in, like, bringing the real world and the people's art, separate art from the artist, but, like, if you look at the husbands and wives of all of the people who write romance, they're normal people. Like, we're not all married to male models and Fabio. So like whenever I write, and I'm not, yeah, I know, surprise. Um, whenever like like I I'm not really interested in like the fantastical elements of like a really hot person. Like I'm interested in the amount of love and admiration and like just genuine obsession that would make you see an average normal or average slightly hot person as like the most attractive person on the planet. Going back to the Rose Lerner book, because I know we we've kind of wandered, which we <laughs> we were intending to wander, and we did. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like she does this really well. So, like, you have That's what again, I was thinking. You're only seeing things through Ellie's eyes, and he's describing Augustus Bryan, and he's kind of described as like normal hot, but like he's good looking to me, but not necessarily. But she like uses some very specific like phrasing that it's like this guy looks like he's a freaking sailor because he's been on boats, so like he's a little weather beaten. Uh, and like he's not I don't I think she even describes him as not being super symmetrical <laughs> um she, I feel like she leaves out any discussion of teeth I'm I'm the fantasy I need to indulge in is that everyone had all of them is yeah. what I'll say everyone was um, brushing their teeth everyone was like you know floss everyone was not getting heart disease via not taking care of their teeth yeah um but she describes him as just sort of like ropey and weather beaten and sort of like he's been out in the world and have been like affected by the elements that he was exposed to because he's a freaking you know he's a sailor he's on he's on boats but he in ellie's eyes is the most handsome man he's ever seen exactly and like i think one of the things that i noticed specifically is that like you know he's not a spring chicken anymore like ellie notices that he has aged and that like mm -hmm. He is, you know, he's got some some lines. He's got some like strain in his face, and like that does not make him want to jump his bones any less. More, in fact, like yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, you're distinguished. And I, and I do think for like romance books, in particular, when it works really well for me, you can absolutely have characters who are like really, really, really ridiculously good looking. But like again, how does that affect their lives? Yeah, like um, oh, one of my favorite books for this is uh, *Marrying Winterborn*, the Lisa Claypus book. Like, um, Helen is like the most beautiful woman <laughs> in the entire family, and it's uh, the reason that everybody knows that she's not her father's daughter. Like, she is a a a the proof of her mother's infidelity because she looks exactly like the man that she cheated with. <laughs> so, like. You know, that's, you know, as a plot element. And also, obviously, like, she is inhumanly gorgeous and very sweet. Like, I am, I, I love Lisa Kuypas. We all bow before her altar. But, like, I think you can have really hot characters. And I'm never against, like, someone who's really hot. But <laughs> I think one of the problems is when you make hotness a personality trait. Like, when you make, you know, when when you're focused too much on, like, elements of, like, you know, oh, well... They might be an asshole, but they're really good looking. So there has to be something good in there. There are people who are like really hot who just are mean. 
Um, yeah, hot and mean kid co-worker. Well, and again, it's like, it's fine to have people who are hot. And like, like I said, I write about professional athletes. Um, the baseball players don't really typically have abs. I was like, if they have abs, like they, they literally need to not do that because that's a sign they've lost too much essentially weight. Yeah. weight that they have like, the, like they have to keep on, on weight. Like, um, and that's something that comes up in hockey romance too, of just like the, the laborious chore the eating becomes when you're burning through mm-hmm. particularly high players who burn through like five to 6,000 calories a day. And eating is just like this constant chore that they have to do. Um, and so, you know, you, you sort of have that, but you're like, if you're, if you're really, really ridiculously good looking, you do get treated differently. Do you get, you know, if you're an athlete or endorsement deals, um, do people tend to treat you like you're stupid? Mm-hmm. That tends to be, a, you know, sort of like that as yeah. a, you know, I, I don't want to say a stereotype, but like, like sort of presupposition people have. Like, how is this affecting people's sort of like worldview and their experience of the world? And I think that that sometimes it's just you have an entire town or city populated only by the most attractive people you've ever seen. And you're like, okay, um, sure. Yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about, like, how did the Jews get there? It's like, okay, <laughs> what what happened in this person's life about them being, like, insanely, like, how did that, because you don't have someone who just suddenly appears age 26, poof, insanely gorgeous. Like, you you really, like, I, people talk a lot about, oh, puberty, people change a lot. But, like, I look very similar to the way that I looked when I was, like, 16, 17, just a lot healthier. <laughs> you know, now, now I, like, eat enough and sleep more. Like... <laughs> Maybe I, Those I look are a little good. different. Yeah, these are all good things. Ultimately, like you do look like yourself. Like it's not like the change between like a five-year-old and a fifteen-year-old. That is like cataclysmically different. Not in like a bad way, but like you know, like the difference between when you like if you saw like a baby cousin when they were three and then again at mm-hmm. eighteen, they could like be a whole new person. They recast those kids for a reason. But like <laughs> the difference between like a sixteen, seventeen-year-old and themselves at like twenty-seven, if there's no like cosmetic intervention involved, like plastic surgery, is pretty like minimal like you could tell you could tell that this is a per you could recognize this person <laughs> so like tell me that this person has not been hot their whole life or like you know oh she got a nose job and suddenly she's like actually like all of her parts are finally symmetrical and so she's hot now like i i just you have to explain to me like a reasonable explanation of this person's life up to this point otherwise it just feels like you can't just drop somebody into the world you know yeah and i think that there there is sort of like I feel like with contemporary romance in particular, there's there is world building, and the world building has to feel incredibly invisible if you're a contemporary reader reading the book at the same time mm. as the book's coming out. But in ten years, has to be able to hold up to a certain ex- or or probably should be able to hold up to a certain extent. Like I always pick on the idea of like a coffee shop, right? So a coffee shop in Rose Learners, England. I don't. I don't even know if like there were coffee shops then. So you know, if there's a coffee shop, th- if you walk in there, it's obviously not going to look like a Starbucks. But if you have a coffee shop in a contemporary romance and you don't supply any information to the contrary, most of your current readership is going to envision a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But in ten twenty. 
30 years, I don't know if that's going to be the case. And so that sort of world building has to kind of go into that contemporariness um, to kind of make it make it work. And I feel like with characters being attractive, I guess, for lack of a better word, or like just anything about a character, like there should be some world building that got them to that particular place that should feel relatively um, relatively invisible, but at the same time, like, again, helps it hold up like, Oh, are they they're you know, they have abs, they don't go to the gym. How lovely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know And I'm like, not anti ab. I'm not like I'm not here saying that like people can't have abs. I just think that I agree with you that like it's kind of like a like abs are kind of like a shorthand for a hot guy. Yeah, and that's the thing of if if it's working off of a shorthand versus like they're they're a cyclist so they're super lean or they're a weightlifter so they have to keep you know they have to keep a certain amount of weight on in order to weightlift you know it's just sort of it's built into the world building it can be baked in in a way that's sort of not noticeable but when it is a shorthand to me it does tend to to kind of stick out a little bit and that's that's odd right the shorthand is more noticeable to me than when it's like built into the world building this is why i'm very very picky about contemporary romance yeah i can see that i can get i get that and i think like like what you said it's like when it's more noticeable it's kind of like um you know noticing the negative space in something where something else should be like if world building Mm -hmm. is done right in in contemporaries you don't notice it like you said but also like if it's done wrong like um oh my one of my pet peeves is when um someone's like oh wow you're like a blonde ryan reynolds it's like my guy don't (laughs) like you can say he had kind of a sharp face but he looked a little bit confused all the time, and we'll get it. Like I, <laughs> I'm not he anti like Ryan he Reynolds. Dated Alanis Morissette, right? Yeah, like I'm not anti Ryan Reynolds either. I just, I really just like kind of shorthand for like he looks like a movie star, or even like those like you know offhanded ones where they're like, oh, we're gonna sneak in like as a reference, like oh, you know that one who was in that Oscar movie, or you know that one that was in that like R-rated movie, like. I don't like that because I feel like it really dates the book. And also I think it kind of feels lazy because I think even if you are going to write someone who's generically hot and then have to like work around that plot wise, you should like have a way that their looks personify them, like that make them seem unique and interesting as opposed to like, yeah, he looks like one of the most attractive men. Like, um i kind of i'm i kind of like with historical romance i actually think that the specificity makes like the the world building a little better so like i don't super mind pop culture references because i actually think that the specificity will 10 years down the line help it hold up and so like i want in like a historical romance be like oh he looks like a blonde some like famous stage actor from 1825 I love that so much. Oh my god! I kind of want that. Like, <laughs> That's like, so good. You know, he looks like a a blonde John Barrymore isn't from eighteen twenty five, but like he looks like a blah 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 John Barrymore, or like you know something said in like the nineteen sixties and be like he looks like a less hot Paul Newman, like because everyone's I mean, a less hot. No one can yeah. be as no. hot as Paul Newman. <laughs> Yeah, one hours, one hours. I want um, my love interest to be played by young, hot Paul Newman. <laughs> yes, true, truly. And so, and I you think know what? There's... I'll stay with him then and be his wife until he's Paul Oldman. 
Yep, there you go. Until you're all you're doing is making beautiful salad dressing and love. Uh, <laughs> it was his birthday the other day, and people were just posting oh. like, "Did you know he used to be hot?" I'm like, "The Jews do. <laughs> we all knew. We all know. Have we, we've hot. all seen that one photo with like the no shirt yeah. and the hair. Yeah, and and the, and the Mag and David. Yeah, Nagos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of wanted. Like, I think that the specificity actually really helps i read uh the the book that i read this year that was the oldest well no i just finished up a book that was written in 1875 so like i'll take that back um i just read uh carmilla which is a a vampire uh gothic it's not a romance Um, i've heard of that one yeah yeah uh it's really good it's very gay um it's not a romance um, but it it predates Dracula. Um, it was I thought it was really good. The pacing I love pacing in old kind of pulpy pulpy uh, fiction because um, it just kind of hauls ass. Like it's like <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, don't hold it up to modern sensibilities. Don't try to enjoy it with your modern brain. This is meant to be enjoyed with an 1890s like sensibility, but it's very good. Um, yeah, you have to read it with no, a brain I mean, that doesn't know what Instagram is. Yeah, you have to, yes, this book does not know what emails are. Um, <laughs> but no, I read a book uh, from the 80s called Changing Pitches, which is by Steve Kluger, um, which is sort of a baseball romance. I would say it's like a proto-baseball romance. Um, but it had a lot of very specific pop culture references from the 80s. I will also mention there's there's some casual racism in the book that is not mm. does not hold does not hold up. So like there's discussion of race in baseball where like the because it's a baseball player and like the the player's manager is black and they talk a lot about like him getting hit with like racism because as a black manager in baseball, um, which actually did hold up really well in terms of sort of like the discussion was actually really nuanced. And I was like, I was not expecting it. And then the author kind of has a couple of other asides where I'm just like, oh, buddy, no, <laughs> this is just, this is like not you having commentary on it, just you being racist. Um, mm. but I don't want people to, to go in and, and think that, that like that's, you know, sort of like going unawares. Um, sure. But it was written in the 80s and it has a ton, just a ton of assumed pop culture stuff in it that again probably felt pretty invisible if you were reading it in the 80s and then stood out so like the um the main character is like a health food nut and like modern modern i guess you know folks who are into like health food it would be like protein powdered shakes and like whole foods and all of this i'm like my man was eating cottage cheese on romaine lettuce (laughs) Oh my god, the 1980s were like I ate like a half grapefruit. Yeah. Like it was talking about like he really likes sushi and like eats a whole bunch of sushi throughout, which you know, this is sushi. I like sushi, but like it's also like the other health food that they mentioned of like this was what healthy is. Um everybody smokes, everybody drinks. Um, you know, they talk about his cars specifically, they talk about like what movies they're gonna go see, like that they have records, right? Um, and it gives us just really incredible specificity that I think helped the book age better 
than if they sort of like were like, oh, we put on a record and, you know, we put on music and listen to a musician versus we put on a record and listen to like a very specific musician from the 80s. Um, because it, it turned it into historical romance, even if it wasn't at the time. So I thought that was just kind of an interesting exercise. Um, it's out of, it's, it's out of print. So um, I had to, to get a, a copy used shipped to me physically because you <laughs> cannot buy this book otherwise. Um, but it was a, it was really interesting to read a, like a baseball romance written by a gay man in the eighties. Like it was just like the assumptions were different. The structure was different. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you think about it in the span of geologic time, everything becomes historical romance eventually. <laughs> but like the way that I kind of see it is if it's someone who can like has the right voice and can write it in the way that like makes me because I am i don't like to have a hard and fast rule about most things. Like I do have hard and fast rules about like, I don't like to read about rape, just a personal choice. Um, and like, I don't like to read about like people, you know, I don't know, committing violence against their partners. Like, just generally speaking, I'm against domestic violence on page. Like, I, I like there are things that I choose not to read. And then there are things that I'm mm -hmm. like, I can read a content warning and then I can go in and read this and it's fine. Cause like, that's what mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm pro content warning in a way of like, it's kind of an informed read for me. Like there's almost, unless something in there, it's like, you're gonna watch like something really horrible happen that you don't want to see. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna duck out of here. But what I like about a content warning is um, it kind of lets me adjust my expectations. And then I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I will read this and enjoy it knowing what's coming. And then I won't be like, you know, cause one time I've actually told this story multiple times, I think on the podcast, but um, there was a scene in community at one point I was watching um, and I just burst into tears and my entire family just looks at me like, oh my God, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm just like having like a literal like anxiety attack on the couch. And they're just like, what do we do? Like, because there's a scene. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, and, but like. And no, no, I mean, it's a funny moment now. There's a scene when um, a character who has autism is chained to a, a filing cabinet. And that was super triggering for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I just, you know, had a small heart attack. Um, and then I was like, I got to talk about this in therapy now. Oh my God. Cause like, you never know yeah. what's going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. So like, that's one thing where I'm like, no, 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 no. But like, for the most part, I can go into pretty much anything. And if the writing is good, I will excuse it, which is maybe not like a good thing. Like maybe I don't want to go into a book. I'm like, well, if you write it well enough, I'm fine with like, a smack in your wife. But like, I think like if I read a book and they do this exact thing that I don't like where it's like, he looks just like Ryan Reynolds, but like the writing is really good and the story is really good. Like for me, it's all about voice, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to argue against myself in terms of like the historical fiction thing. Cause I'm thinking like, so Rose Lerner is obviously like writing this or last year, this book with a perspective on the 1820s. Right. And so you always mm -hmm. have the year in which, the book is set and the year in which the book is written and the reader is reading it. And with historical romance, those are inherently going to be two different years versus with a romance written in the eighties set in the eighties, that writer doesn't have that perspective. Right. Sure. And so I just, I'm, I'm like, just trying to think of like, but some of the like pop culture stuff does become sort of like world building kind of, kind of deal. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's just, there's there's a bunch of different ways to handle it. You know, it's, it's sort of, I'll, I'll end where you ended up like, 
if you do it well, I'll like it. And if you don't, I won't probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, mm, I don't love that. But if somebody, it's kind of like how, um, like somebody insults your mom, but you insult your own mom. And it's like, Hey, that's my mommy. Like if somebody you like does it, it's like, well, you are my mommy. <laughs> um yeah and i think that like there's certain things where i'm like i'll i'll poke around and just be like look through reviews to just sort of like again as you said informed decision making i don't tend to like mm-hmm. choose to read something or not read it based on a review but i might be like okay this is the ingredients label right like the the content notes or the ingredients label i might then go and look at like the reviews the way I, I, you know, I would for a restaurant and just be like, is this for me or not? Because sometimes the the negative reviews sell you on a book and the positive ones might not. But there, there will be reviews where it's like, I really didn't like when this, when this author did X, Y, and Z. And it'll be after I read the book and I'm like, I couldn't have cared less that the author, like I liked that the author did X, Y, and Z, or I had a lot of latitude for like them doing this um, versus it obviously bothered other folks. And then there's some stuff where I'm just like, mm, not, not my favorite. Don't like it that, you know, I'll go looking for it. I, I, I don't want to pick on any like specific, super specific sure, examples, sure. but there are instances where they will mention characters not bathing for long periods of time. Oh, yeah, that's 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 my like. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. We were all very clean. Eighteen eighty, they were clean. They wore deodorant. They brushed their teeth. Like, yep, sorry, and everybody went to the gynecologist. Yeah, like that. Uh, like Augustus Brine walked off a ship smelling like a daisy. Like yeah. he smelled great. He wasn't sweaty definitely not sweaty or unwashed or like any of those things hadn't been bathing in seawater for months very normal yeah (laughs) Um, using using like the old spice deodorant with the sea captain exactly that's exactly what what sailors in 1825 smelled like Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just i think that for like the entire romance genre like the entire like fiction you know oeuvre has conventions that we all have decided to abide by and i think that's fine like, you know, you'll read um like a historical fiction where one of the characters has some kind of medical acumen and they're like, we use alcohol for cleaning because that's what we, we've found that it's good for wounds. And they definitely didn't know that back then. They did mm-hmm. not understand germ theory in that way. But I'm fine with it because I don't want someone to die of a leg boil, you know? Uh, was it, Have you ever read any of the Benjamin January books? I don't think I have. Okay, these are this is Barbara Han- Hambly. They're not romance books. Um, it's set in New Orleans in the 1820s, um, and it's, you know, the first one's called a, a Free Man of Color, and it's about a character named Benjamin January, um, who solves, like, their, their mysteries with just, like, some really incredible world building. Um, they don't shy away from any of the sort of racial dynamics of being in New Orleans in the 1820s, but the, he is a jazz musician, or not a jazz musician, he's a musician, and he is a physician but not a or was a surgeon but not a doctor if that because that used to be a distinction so like he he does all of these things and he gets into fights with like the local doctors who are like 
it's probably because they have a troll living in their stomach. And he's just like, no, I'm just going to set her bones so like they feel right. Okay. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Miasma. I'm going to um, make sure she washes her hands. <laughs> yeah. Basically like the second book is set during a yellow fever epidemic. Um, and they don't come out and say like, he knows it's the mosquitoes causing it, but like he's pretty clear that it's not being caused by smells. <laughs> and so I think that that's that's interesting. And there's like there's, there's tension in between like sort of like white institutional knowledge and then like his knowledge as a surgeon that he learned in like France because he lived in France for you know he went and lived in France for a while before coming back to New Orleans, um, which I think he does right at the, the beginning of the first book. Um, but that's that's a good sort of yes example of we we're going to assume that they they're going to use real medicine that like the sympathetic nice doctor isn't going to bleed anybody um what isn't it in the kj charles book um oh god say, there's the um, band? there's um oh i think you mean um the band sinister um, the band sinister yeah there's that the jewish doctor yeah i love him so much jewish, and i love that the sister is yeah. like yeah i'll convert i love you <laughs> um but he's just like what are you gonna do? You're gonna bleed her? Like her blood? She needs that blood. <laughs> she has like almost died. She is lucky to be alive. Her leg is not even in her body anymore. Do not bleed this woman. I, yeah, I'm like, we're just gonna all have that as an assumption that if a doctor is a like a, a sympathetic doctor character shows up in historical romance, he knows not to do or she knows not to do all the stuff that the actual historical doctors <laughs> will do. I wrote no leeches, no baseball leeches. books. No one uses chewing tobacco at any point in any of my books. There's no dip. <laughs> there's no dip. You can't make dip sexy. You really you can't. can. It's so you, gross. It's so gross. It's so, and like, you cannot do it. I do have a couple characters, and this is actually pretty true for professional athletes. Um, I have a couple of characters who either one smokes and then quits and then the other one kind of casually smokes occasionally, like occasionally. Um, and like professional athletes, absolutely, particularly baseball players do smoke um, largely because it helps concentration. Mm. Um, and like they, they, they like their stay awake cigarettes because they banned their stay awake amphetamines in 2006. Um <laughs> I'm not kidding. They used to take these things called greenies. So like oh, every God. every baseball player was on an unimaginable amount of amphetamines. Um, well, so equally equally, we're all agreeing that nobody is drinking cocaine um, out of the medicine bottles. That was definitely a thing back then. <laughs> um, I feel like so Felicia Grossman, who is a Jewish historical romance author, definitely has um, a character who is, I believe, addicted to laudanum. I'm relatively early in the production for this season, but I am really excited to just like, I'm like actually kind of like doing like covert research of like, how do I find out if this person, I have a theory that this person is Jewish. I mean, there's obviously lots of people who I know who are going to be on, but I'm just like, I've got a theory. <laughs> Sneaking around people's websites, trying to find a hint. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of Jewish authors who don't write Jewish characters necessarily. Exactly. Um, and it's not because they have issues writing Jewish characters, it's that sometimes publishing has an issue with publishing Jewish characters. I didn't say that. Well, yeah, I mean the thing is like you can you can publish a book about Jews as long as it's, you know, a, a very special book TM, like, you know, a 
like, you know, a, a story that is specifically about that. And I, I mean, I, I don't yeah. think there's a time and a place for that kind of thing, but I just, I would like the normalization of that. Like, like the fact that there is an entire subgenre, like Christian inspirational romance, and we cannot just get like a regular trad pub where the characters are casually Jewish and there's nothing like, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love, um, but uh, it's the first book that we did um, for this podcast, actually, The Intimacy Experiment. Naomi Grant's just mm -hmm. like casually Jewish and then she's casually Jewish with her rabbi boyfriend. Like, love it. So great. Um, yeah. And I think that there is more and more of it, you know, with me, I'm sort of in the in sort of two two different things. Like one, I will give my characters very Ashkenazi Jewish names. So like I have Jake Glass or Jake Fisher. <laughs> I went to Hebrew school with Jake Fisher. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, <laughs> Jake Fisher, who is a lefty Jewish pitcher who plays for the Oakland baseball organization, the Oakland baseball organization this off season, the, the real one, not my fake one signed Jake Fishman, lefty Jewish pitcher. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I swear to God, this is not based on you, bud. Life um, imitates art. Yeah. So, you know, I will get, I will, and those names are obviously in the the blurb, but I don't tend to put like the fact that the characters are Jewish in the official marketing material because I don't, particularly for traditionally published things, like I don't have as much control over where that marketing material goes and like, so, so, so like there's harassment concerns sometimes with just like putting keyword Jewish into things that people just tend to be jerks about it. Yeah, um, of course. And, and I mean, so... there's also like a, a tokenizing element of it. I think like if you are the Jewish romance writer who writes the Jewish romances, like e even if things like, you know, if you're a pretty decently read mid list author, then like you become that person and you don't, you get boxed in. Like, I can, I can understand why people wouldn't want that, you know? Yeah, and I also think it's like, you know, characters being Jewish informs their worldview, but it's not, you know, it's it's not a holiday romance. Um, I have written mm -hmm. one that was sort of like Tuba Shvat. I was like, yeah, we're not, we're, we're going to do Tuba Shvat. We're going to do, we're going to do all the the very tiny minor ones. Um, you know, Sailor's Delight is set over um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But like, there's not. But generally, none of my none of my full length books, I want to say, have been set over a holiday at all. And so I think that there's sort of like again the the metonymy between like if it's a Jewish book and it, it has to be set over a holiday, and it's like no, nope, we're we're Jews in August. Yeah, weirdly, um, I remain Jewish all year round, even during non Jewish holidays. I I I exist all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think that there's just sort of like there's there's a sort of like uh, uh, I guess like people go in with that as a as a this is how this will affect the book if you kind of put it in the marketing versus like yeah the, the character's named Jake Fisher he's from what of it northern <laughs> he's from North Bethesda I'm doing air quotes the he is from Rockville we yeah. um, are. The I know you don't like pop culture references, but the REM song "Don't Go Back to Rockville" absolutely gets a shout out. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it it can be very um like I, I like I like I do love a stealthy Jew in a book, um because I think 
it it can be really fun to be like to like point and go ha like the spider-man meme we were just talking about like i like to point and go ha um but i also think it can be kind of an introductory point to people who like might not seek that out but also would enjoy it one thing that i just kind of speaking of like the hallmark holiday thing is i've watched um most of the hallmark holiday jewish movies because i Mm. wanted to be angry um and they were (laughs) I mean, even the ones that are written by Jews, which, by the way, are a minority of them. I don't know why. If if we supposedly run Hollywood, why can't we run the write the Hallmark holiday movies? This is all that I'm I'm just asking questions. Just asking questions. But <laughs> these movies are like, oh, yeah, it's time for Hanukkah dinner. We've never once had a formal Hanukkah dinner in my family. And I don't know anyone who has. You have, like, a party maybe with, like, your neighbors on, like, the first night or the last night. And every other night in the middle is just kind of a slog. I've never met anybody who celebrates Hanukkah the way people do in these friggin' movies. And, like, maybe maybe there's someone out there who's listening right now who's like, well, my family does that. Okay, you're in this movie. This is a movie about your life. <laughs> Just you, not the rest of us. Um, well, and also, like, we don't all do everything the same. Um, I was, I read another, I had to look at my little, my little reading log. Um, I read a, a hockey romance earlier this year, scoring position which is ashlyn kane and morgan i can't read my own handwriting uh james morgan james and that one is it's an mm hockey romance um one of the characters mentions like offhandedly he's like oh yeah my family doesn't really celebrate christmas because we're atheists and i'm like yeah well atheists like a lot most american you know u.s atheists celebrate christmas and then that same character adds in like the next sentence or like the next couple sentences because we're atheist Jews. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And like, it actually just has like this little aside about like how that affects affected what he would do on Christmas. He's just like, yeah, it's like not a thing that we do. We don't tend to celebrate. Like I'm, you know, I'm fine with going to like, you know, his boyfriend's, you know, hanging out with his boyfriend's family during Christmas because like, He's like, we're really not doing anything other than like, I, I think they even, he even is like, we don't even do like the Chinese food in the movie because like his family is all um, like healthcare providers. So they all go and work on Christmas so that like their colleagues don't have to. Um, and I thought that that was just like a nice little note of like, this is, this is somewhat unusual. It shaped how the character, you know, what the character is going to do. It's not kind of blue christmas sweater because it's or you know it's not hanukkah dinner it's oh yeah like my 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 parents are both doctors so they work on christmas so that their coworkers can can go have christmas and like we might watch a movie or whatever and i was like oh representation matters be lazy (laughs) don't do anything on christmas yeah and i mean you're very right that like no two families do everything the same way like you know two jews three opinions thing like they're growing Mm -hmm. up i assumed that like Thanksgiving was kind of a Goyesha holiday because like we kind of did Thanksgiving in a lackluster way when we went to my grandparents' house. And other than that, like nothing. I mean, my grandparents are also Jewish, but like in the Midwest, like I feel like everything is kind of Christian. So like <laughs> I was like, the Midwest is a Christian place. End of story. Um, and so like I, I just kind of grew up being like, yeah, Jews don't celebrate Thanksgiving like observant Jews don't celebrate Thanksgiving. And it turns out they fully do. My family's just weird. My, uh, I have a friend, uh, we keep a list of Jews don't, like a list of, of things that we're like, oh yeah, Jew, she, this is a Jewish friend. Keep a list of things that like Jews don't do. Like Jews don't eat pasta salad was like on the list. <laughs> like 
a lot of it's food based. Like Jews don't eat non premium ice cream. <laughs> like That's it's going to be Hagenos. Well, it's because I think it's lower in like the nice stuff is lower in lactose. <laughs> So that's just self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's higher fat content, lower lower amount of, of lactose, and I'm lactose intolerant. I All my characters are also lactose intolerant because, you know, representation is so important. Exactly. Um, you want to see yourself in fiction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you did a juice. Yeah, juice don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Of course not. It's like, uh, no, no. We My main issue with Thanksgiving was like, we would do Thanksgiving, and then we would do Passover. And then we do, you know, like we did a bunch of stuff for like Rosh Hashanah um, dinner and like my parents host a break fast for Yom Kippur with like, it could have up to like 20 people at it. Like I was just like, yeah, we do Thanksgiving, but it's not like going to be the only or, or only or one of two or three things that is going to have that level of prep work. There's a lot of other holidays that get that level of prep work. Right. Well, I think the thing is that you have to kind of tease out as you become an adult the things that are weird about your family and the things that are cultural things. Because, like, my brother and I grew up thinking, oh, well, meat isn't kosher because we grew up vegetarian. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's it's, it's pretty kosher. Uh, yeah. Uh, it depends on the yeah, kind my, of meat. My mom, <laughs> my mom grew up, and she grew up reform, um, and my, my dad is grew up, like, modern orthodox and i ended up conservatox she grew up thinking that bacon was kosher because her mom didn't have like pork in the house but made bacon (laughs) (laughs) or something something don't eat pork but (laughs) (laughs) but and it wasn't like beef bacon it was it was bacon i mean she's from pittsburgh it was bacon bacon um, but yeah, so I, that's, that's a Jews don't, you know, you're like, uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm sure I have a list of things that it's, that if I told to five Jewish friends, they'd be like, yeah, we do. We eat pasta salad. I think there's a difference between the things. I mean, obviously there are like big cultural touchstones that we all have in common. Um, at least all American, I feel like most American Jews have like a certain percentage of things in common. Right. But then there's like things that are specific and weird to each individual family or each individual subculture within the subculture, that it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Jews don't eat meat. Um, Jews eat predominantly Mexican food. Like, thing is, every Shabbat, we had Mexican food. I don't know why. Oh. Nobody in my family can give me a good reason. But I thought the kind of Mexican food that my mom made was Jewish growing up. And my brother had the audacity to think that Indian food was also Jewish. And I was like, don't be stupid. It's Indian. And my mom was like, okay, what's a burrito? <laughs> like, some things are Both just your are... family being nuts. Yeah. Yep. There, there was also that. Um, back to, to, Rose's, uh, to Rose's book, and then we're going to, I think, probably. Yeah, wrap, probably call it a up. night. <laughs> but one of the things I really enjoyed was, as I said, like, having... Ellie be within his family and within this culture, you get to see these differences even among his family members about their assumptions about things, like their assumptions about the world, sort of like where I I feel like, again, his family is from different places. um, And so have different like linguistic traditions, have different, you know, food traditions. 
as a result of that. And I thought, again, that just was a really nice way to kind of bake in some of that diversity into the world building in a way that mm-hmm. it doesn't assume that everyone kind of does everything the same way. Right. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. I think that it really does show that like, you know, we've never just been one thing. And I think that that's really cool, especially like when, you know, ashkenormativity, a hilarious, great word that I will never stop using just because it's, it's, it's so fun. I love a good portmanteau. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, historically speaking, like, the European Jewry as it is, like, you know, now in the post-European Jewry age didn't exist. So, like, it's interesting to be like, what kind of Jews can we write about in the past? It's really cool. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoy enjoyed that aspect of it. So I hope people check the book out. It's really good. I'm gonna, it's a great I, book. I, own... I love it so much. I'm going to recommend it to everybody I know. <laughs> Um, I own Life in the Attic. I haven't read it. That one's like a gothic romance, which I like. Um, it's a it's a Jane Eyre retelling, but Jewish. Oh, I love Jane Eyre. I'm definitely going to go get that one because I've heard such good things. Uh, this is an FF Jane Eyre Jewish, yeah, a, a Jewish, FF Jewish Jane Eyre retelling. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone should check out all of Rose Larner's books because I'm going to go do that now, now that I have uh, revealed my secret shame that I've never read them until now. And I just well, want to thank you again you so much to read. for getting me to read <laughs> no it problem. and for coming on and uh, complaining with me for an hour and a half. <laughs> it's been a great time. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the invite and I always enjoy a good catch. Oh, yeah. And, you know, heritage, legacy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and everyone should find you where? So I am KD, Casey Writes, on pretty much all platforms. So I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm my website is kdkcwrites.com. Um, the book I have coming out in April is Diamond Ring, which is the third in the Unwritten Rules series. Um, each book can be read as a standalone. So if queer Jewish baseball romance about characters who have disabilities is your jam, you should check it out. Man, I mean, that does sound exactly like my jam. Well, we will have to have you back sometime, but thank you so much for joining us for season two, Oops All Jews. I feel very privileged to have you be my second guest. And um, I'm also glad that this brings our our gay total back up because earlier on in the production of the show, we were neck and neck. I would do like a gay book and a straight book and a gay book and not on purpose. People keep picking these books. Um, I don't have a say in what goes on the show. I mean, I have some say, but like I... I am. I try to let the person pick, and now we are back neck and neck. I am so glad. Well, I'm. I'm happy to be happy to be of service. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I had such a great time talking to you. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was so much fun to make. Thanks to our special guest, Katie Casey, for coming on. It's a pleasure talking to her, and I hope you'll go find her books. Uh, If you're interested in listening to further episodes, please subscribe. Uh, Click on the links in our description to find Katie online and to look at our Goodreads uh, list of books that we've read for this podcast if you want to read along. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This season means a lot to me. It's, It's kind of the podcast of my heart. So please subscribe, share, let it be known this is a good podcast that you enjoy because I would love to reach as many romance readers as possible. Thank you again for listening and hopefully we'll see you in two weeks.